0: give me like a detailed view of what your mornings to Bethlehem to get your local
1: produce from vendors looks and sounds like. I walk down to the market and I always start my day at this first stall that's run by a fabulous woman called Um Umnabil. and that's how my menu starts because whatever she has that day will be dictating the menu we're going to be cooking. So if it's the herbs, if it's the vegetables... what you hear sometimes is israeli fighter jets flying overhead and as you can imagine i hate it why i don't like violent sound it's extremely oppressive the reality of what happens behind the scenes is the farmers that come into the market can be coming on roads that are all of a sudden closed by an israeli military checkpoint Um, They can not have certain produce because their water has been diverted by the Israeli water company. They can face violence on the roads before coming into Bethlehem. Is it difficult? Yes, of course it's difficult. Living in a place under occupation with military control, yes, our farmers have a tough time. It starts with just taking that leap. Man, you have to work hard. You have to be incredibly smart. Choose
0: something that even if it fails, if it fails you are going to be proud of. It doesn't matter how badly you got beaten in Be kind, be kind, be kind. Become a better person, a better leader, a better business. Go with your gut. <laughs> I'm Samuel Donner, and this is Finding Founders. So... Uh, Let's actually start again with your name and
1: uh, who you are in like two or three sentences. I'm Chef Fadi Katan. I cook in Bethlehem at Fauda in the heart of the old city. And I have a YouTube show called Teda's Kitchen. I have a podcast called Sabahdi Yasmin. And now working on getting Palestinian cuisine a bit elsewhere in the world starting with London as our first project. I think I want to start with the, the,
0: the fact that you come from one of the oldest Christian families in Bethlehem. Can you tell
1: me like what that means? Coming from one of the oldest Christian families in Bethlehem means a lot. And coming from a family that's been in international trade or commerce for generations means something even more. So you can imagine the whole load of of attachment that comes with it to the land, to the city. What's changed dramatically for us is my grandparents were living in Bombay in 1948. My dad was born in Bombay. And then, you know, in 1948, Israel was created and, and they basically lost a lot of their property that was in what became Israel. I think that that was a moment that was quite marking to to my family's history. On one side, we're extremely resilient. Like, I'm lucky to come from this family that's been a bit all over the the world. You know, they've seen the First World War and the Second World War, and they've seen all all of this happen, but they stayed very much attached to Bethlehem. Why is that? When I, I imagine what those stone walls that have been here for the better of 150 years at least, they speak of history. When I walk down to the old city market, there's this like very strong social culture link to the people around you, to the city itself. And I think it's quite difficult for people to understand what it means, except when it's taken away from you. Like what happened to us a bit in, historically. What do you mean? Basically, we we were occupied by the Ottomans for 400 years. And the good thing under the Ottoman occupation was we were quite far away from Constantinople, which became Istanbul. And as a result in our society, what was great is that whether you were a Palestinian Jew, a Palestinian Christian, a Palestinian Muslim, or a Palestinian Samaritan, everybody lived together. What happened in in 1870 in in Basel was the creation of the idea of a single religion state called Israel. It took until 1948 for it to happen on the ground, but it started happening a bit before in terms of people emigrating here. Emigrating to what is now known as Israel. What is now known as Israel, which was at the time called Palestine, By that time, it was under British control. So at the end of the First World War, Britain had a mandate on the Palestinian areas. It was called the the British Mandate of Palestine. You know, one of my dreams is to actually be able to meet the Palestinian Jews that lived here at that time and ask them what they think of the creation of Israel because one thing I'm extremely proud of my family and of the culture I was given is that I was brought up in an extremely tolerant family. They never forced us into any belief. On the contrary, they gave us the tools to basically accept and understand everybody's faith and respect it. My grandmother on my mother's side, who's somebody who's had a great role in my life. She's the reason I love cooking. And I never, ever heard her say this or that person was Christian, Muslim, or Jew. I always heard her talk about her friends on why they're her friends. And it took me a very, very long time to actually start understanding, In you know, into early adulthood, oh, but that person could be Muslim or Jewish or you didn't have those divisions when you were growing up because it, I guess,
0: wasn't seen as consequential to friendship and connection, right?
1: Of course, and you know, Sam, when, when we decided to, you, you invited me to do this podcast, I didn't ask you. Your family in Poland was of which faith, and I. It won't change that the the podcast or the content, and I, I think I, you know, to be very honest. I think it's extremely sad to be an Israeli because being Israeli means you've come to this land because you could prove you're Jewish. I don't want to live in a place where everybody is from the same faith as I am. I don't want to live in a place, and that's why I asked you where you're living right now, I mean, LA is great. You don't ask your neighbor what he believes in. And maybe on, on Friday, he goes to the mosque and you go on Saturday to uh, the, the Buddhist temple down the street and, and the, somebody else goes to the synagogue. I, I
0: have a few Israeli friends. I have a few Palestinian friends. And uh, I'm specifically thinking about my, my friend uh, Yuval, um right now because I've had, had a few conversations with him about, about this topic. What do you think um, uh, an Israeli person would say to that that statement like and, and the statement I'm referring to is the um, the uh it, it, it would be sad to be as an israeli and something i've talked to my friend Yuval about is like there's there's the and you know he's he's young he's 23 i believe um and there's the there's these uh they're they're israelis that are are kind of like what you said where it's like we're preserving the religious integrity of the um, state. Uh, and then there are people who are younger that are just saying like, yeah, I'm, I'm proud to be uh, an Israeli, but I'm not trying to be exclusive um, to these people and like can I can I also can I have pride for my country without um, saying that that certain people are can't be a part of it? Um, and honestly, that's like something that I'm like struggling with as American. you know, can I be proud of my country? when the, 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 you know, large, I feel like, you know, half, half of these, the people that live here are being, being exclusive to, to their, you know, uh, fellow man. I don't know. What do you think?
1: So my, my my answer to your question and, and what I would tell your friend is make peace, but make real peace. You know, I have a box full of land ownership titles, from my grandparents' land that was taken away from them in 1948. Why would I accept it? Why would why should I shut up and accept that in the name of creating a state, private property was stolen? And it's title deeds. It's not like I'm claiming. And really, what I what I hate about the Israeli really narrative is they just pretend we didn't exist before 1948. You know what? One of my great aunts was the youngest woman to get a university degree in the whole Middle East, 100 years before Israel was created. So no, we did exist. And and I very often when people try and tell me, oh, but you know, we're very proud of being Israeli. I'm like, yeah, well, make peace with yourselves, make peace with what you've done, and give justice back to people. That is the real problem of this conflict is the other, you know, the concept of the other. I think one of the greatest creations of the Israeli government was the building of that wall in 2000, because that wall has managed to create on both sides an unknown other. So if you take an Israeli kid who's in Tel Aviv and who's, you know, living his or her life, and you talk to them about Palestinians, what do they know of a Palestinian? I'll tell you what they know. The cleaner that's cleaning their bathrooms in a restaurant, the construction worker that's building their buildings. And sometimes if they've like really been cool Israelis, maybe they they'll know a no Palestinian from Israel, so somebody from Jaffa, from Haifa, from Nazareth. And they grow up with the idea that what's beyond that wall is a monster. If you take a young Palestinian of the same age, what do they know of an israeli they know the israeli settler who's living on our land here and they know the israeli army that doesn't give you the right ingredients for peace the more separation you have the more
0: you otherize someone
1: of course because the other becomes this this you know the other with a capital o and the other is a boogeyman nothing is black and white i can't ever tell you all israelis are bad And I can't tell you all Palestinians are bad or good, actually. We're human, like everybody else. But what we would like is to have the rights to actually live like everybody else. And maybe that's why I cook, because I don't understand violence. I do think the only way we can live happily in this part of the world is the day we can actually have one big country that's democratic and secular, and we're all equal citizens. Because I think that's the moment the practicing religious Jew, Christian, and Muslim will have the right to go pray in Jerusalem guaranteed. And the young Palestinian and Israeli will have their right guaranteed to be able to go swim at the sea where, you know, we, we'll maybe even cook together.
0: Something that we've seen doing this series, like food, is that, that great connector. And I love the, the cook together metaphor because it's like a, it's it's the thing that unites people.
1: It unites people, but it unites people when you're equal.
0: I want to actually focus again on cooking. Um, you mentioned your grandmother before. Walk me through maybe one of the first memories of your grandmother's kitchen.
1: My grandmother's kitchen was quite a magical place as a kid. My first memories of being in that kitchen is she would sit me down on the table in that kitchen and give me my breakfast. And she would be cooking something, either lunch for that day, preparing a jam. I would get the pleasure of the smells. So that was when I was very, very young. And funnily enough, in my grandmother's kitchen, she cooked both very Palestinian dishes and then very French dishes, because my grandfather was born in France and she she loved doing both. Did she combine those flavors ever? No, my, my grandmother was, I think I'm a bit like my grandmother. I'm a bit of a purist in terms of flavors. I'm not a purist in terms of techniques, but she was quite a bit of a purist in terms of doing the right recipe. Obviously, your grandmother must have been a huge inspiration
0: for what, you would develop um into in terms of a cook and your cooking style and so i want to go and fast forward to opening your own cafe
1: the city of bethlehem so the, the municipal council had the italians renovate an old building in the heart of the old city the goal was to have guest rooms and a restaurant they needed somebody to manage the place and i applied was it scary to open it? It was terrifying because you're like under so much pressure. The kitchen is a bit, you know, it's a tough place. You're you're standing on your feet 20 hours a day. And I thought, wow, can I really get this happening in Bethlehem? So there's a couple
0: themes that, you know, I've gotten through talking to you. Um, you mentioned the big other. The, the, the other with the capital O, um we talked about food being a way to humanize uh y- y- like 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 a uh, you know other groups so I, I really do see um in your cooking a way for uh, that your your cooking is a way for you to share your palestinian culture and heritage with people who are not palestinian so with that context, to the Israelis that do come into your restaurant, what would you say to them?
1: Wow. Look, when when I do have people that are Israeli coming in, it's quite tricky because I don't ask people about their their nationality. I was really, really angry a few years ago when an article was written about our property. It said how much percent of my guests were heterosexual and how much were LGBTQ. And I was furious because part of being me and part of believing the values I believe in, I never ask anybody what their nationality, faith, sexual orientation, political orientation, gender are. I will serve anybody. As long as they're abiding by general rules, we would serve anybody regardless of who they are. And that brings us to some the, what I would want my Israeli customers to go away with. Israel, like the United States, are quite recent countries with a mix of a native population and very different immigrant populations. What makes me sad is when I see that all of this is trying to be mishmashed into saying this is an Israeli cuisine and when that happens they lose the diversity, the beauty of the diversity. My dream is to have an Israeli chef that cooks things like hummus and maqluba and say, I am cooking Palestinian food. Celebrate the Yemeni cuisine, celebrate the Polish cuisine, celebrate the Palestinian. Because in our kitchens, wherever you are in the world, whether you're in LA or Paris or Bethlehem or Tokyo, what is extremely important is provenance of produce is recipes and their history and their story. What do you
0: want the legacy of your restaurant to be? And I actually I want to ask that for two sets of people. The people that you work with and then also the people that come into your restaurant.
1: What I would be proud of as a legacy of, of my team is two things. One is for each one of them to be able to go on developing themselves, whatever their direction is, whether their dream is to open their own restaurants, whether their dream is to whatever they want to do. The other thing I I would love to be their legacy is, it's for them to, to inspire other people. What I would really be proud of is if our example inspires others to actually work their local, local products and work their local, local cuisine. For the ones that are my guests, that are dining in the restaurant, what I like them to to go away with is having discovered something new, having tasted things differently, experienced textures that are different, but also and primordially having had a great time. Food is about pleasure. Having dinner lunch is about having a good time with good food, good product, fantastic service. And that's what I want people to go away with. Now, whether they're Palestinian or Israeli or internationals, what I want them to go away with, all of these people, and I'm lucky to have this happen quite often, is for them to say, oh, are you going back to the market tomorrow? We'd like to come along with you. or. Oh, where did you get that olive oil? Can we get some? Because I think sharing food, helping people discover is very important, but also what I want people to do is is go away with saying, "Mm, now we know what the flavors of Palestine are.
0: In sharing the flavors of Palestine, Faudi lends perspective on the forms acceptance and coexistence take. This perspective was instilled by his parents, and they taught him to look beyond his religion. Faudi took this lesson and infused it into his cuisine so he could humanize his people, to teach that Palestinians are more than just media headlines. And so by helping non-Palestinians celebrate Palestinian culture, he uncovers unity. Holding his grandmother's purest philosophy, Faudi does not separate cuisine from its origins. And you can see this in how he actually creates his meals, because regardless of the season's limitations or political barriers barring access to things like produce, he still relies on local Palestinian farmers. His food is sourced from his people. Thus he can reveal to his guests a story that starts with a Palestinian, is cooked by a Palestinian, but then is enjoyed by anyone. And yeah, this story contains a lot of suffering, but it's also real. Foudy's restaurant shows that we can bring people together using what sets us apart. Foudy values unique stories, which allows him to create a restaurant that welcomes and respects people from around the world. Even amidst constant reminders of the violence and injustice inflicted on Foudy's people, he still recognizes the walls of ignorance that have built stories of prejudice on both sides. Baudi and his restaurant promote compassion and diverse perspectives. He shows us we don't have to stop at mere tolerance, but instead we can seek deeper understanding of our fellow man and maybe promote unity ourselves. Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe, rate the podcast five stars and share with a friend. If you have any questions or comments, DM us at Finding Founders Podcast on Instagram, LinkedIn, or Facebook. Finding Founders is produced and hosted by me, Samuel Donner.
1: Our chief of staff and operations is Jessica Lin.
0: Our audio editing team lead is Adrian Tapia. Support from Matt Fernandez, Sophia Donner, Aaron Devereaux, Nicholas Guzman, Ashley Jimenez, Tomas Renteria, Lauren Yamada,
1: and Mora Lynch. Our outreach and research lead is Ankitun with support from Miriam Arden, Sarah Hobson, Lisa Le, Kenny Ong, Melody Sopani, Cherise Tan, and
0: Marie Vaughn. Our writing team lead is Elizabeth Bowen with support from Natalie Agnew, Abigail Agerdia, Elise Caldwell,
1: Harrison Duffy,
0: Alexandra Huntallis adams Kylie McCreary, Beatrice Phillips, Vilna Seminario, and Linda Tapia. Our design team lead is
1: Shruti Ramanand, with support from
0: Sohail Amatya,
1: Tiffany Dang, Anna Rivelli, and Allison Wong.
0: The video editing team is Eli Lawrence, with support from Melanie Mack. To see more of what we're up to, subscribe to our newsletter at findingfounders.co. Thanks again for listening, and see you next week.